In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and it's hard to believe that 2018 is almost over. And I'm recording today from the United States, which is quite unusual for me, but I was here this week to enjoy the biggest U.S. holiday of Thanksgiving. And I also was here to witness Black Friday frenzy. And I just read that 68% of shoppers are shopping on Black Friday online. Now, I was astonished at these figures, but as more and more of consumer consumption moves online and more businesses offer their goods and services online, businesses have to be aware of the current laws and regulations surrounding e-commerce and the Internet of Things, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be listening from. Welcome back to our returning listeners, and if you're new, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact digitalization and globalization is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership and business practices we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from artificial intelligence to cybersecurity, and then we've talked about leadership issues such as gender balance and generational management, as well as business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please download this series from iTunes. We have a five-star rating, so make sure you listen to us. You can listen to great advice, leadership success stories that you can learn from, stories that can motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even be the success for your business or yourself. I invite you to connect with me. Send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Connect with me on my website at leadershipbeyondborders.net. If you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful either for your business or for yourself. Now, on to what we're going to talk about today. The power of the World Wide Web has affected more than just the way we communicate and the vast access of information. It also carries with it a variety of legal issues, often related to intellectual property concerns, copyright, trademark, privacy, and particularly in the context of doing business on the Internet. Now, authorities are seeking to apply new laws, but sometimes it's very, very difficult to do because the challenges on the Internet of Things are global, not just local in nature. And understanding the challenges of our new connected world is just a start because not everybody has the same standpoint. Even if you're in the same country, Different states, for example, the United States, have different viewpoints. And in the European Union, different member states of the European Union have different standpoints. And the EU, who has led the way with its general data protection legislation, regulation, GDPR, as it's called, which was launched in May 2018, has really disrupted the ad tech ecosystem. And in the U.S., many states have followed suit, but in other parts of the world, data protection is almost non-existent. But with the consistently changing laws, barely keeping up with the technologies, it can be confusing for everybody. You know, what's legal, what's not legal, which laws do I have to pay attention to, and which ones don't I? So today we're going to talk to an expert who knows and understands the legal challenges we face today in our connected world. Richard Chappell is part is a part internet business lawyer and part business owner and has always been completely amazed at the evolution of the online entrepreneurial world. As an internet attorney, he advises large and small businesses on legal and regulatory obligations when operating online. He's become, he's became a licensed attorney in California 
since 1992, and he has spent time working for a firm specializing in complex contractual bad faith matters. His international experience includes working as a professor at Chita State Technical University, teaching law and cultural English in Siberia, Russia, from the years 1990 to 2000. Upon return to Cal- upon his return to California, his attention turned to the commercialization of internet. Unlike many legal fields, internet law was in its infancy in 2000, and even common documents such as privacy policies or terms and conditions were open to legal interpretation. He has been operating his own firm specializing in cyber law since then with an emphasis on providing legal advice on topics such as copyright infringement, trademarks, privacy, user-generated content, compliance for private companies, and a host of other topics. He regularly negotiates and prepares contract agreements, terms of service, disclaimers, web development agreements, as well as other legal documents for clients doing business on the web. So, Richard, welcome. You're calling, you're calling in from sunny San Diego, I think? I am. Thank you for oh, having me yes. on. Yeah, well, it's great to have you with this complex ta- subject here. So let's just let's just start with a simple question. The internet has really opened up an entire world of legal challenges. You know, from fighting cybercrime to antitrust questions, e-privacy. What do you think the biggest challenges are that we're facing today? Um, well, I think you probably already touched on it, which would be privacy. Um, you know, many of us, we went through five to ten years of relative calm online where we were working through some basic issues, uh, but there wasn't really any massive revolutionary changes. Uh, and then starting, you know, four or five years ago, the EU started looking at the internal market and, and reconsidering some of the directives that, that had existed since, oh, let's say 1995. Um, you know, obviously the Internet was a entirely different medium in 1995 than it is now. Um, and so we've seen this move to update uh, and in some cases radically change um, many of the regulations that are applied to it with the GDPR, of course, being uh, the granddaddy of them all so far. Uh, and so privacy is um, kind of a unique issue. If, if you'd asked me in 2000, you know, what, what issue I thought might um, cause consternation on the web, privacy would not have been it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, here we sit, you know, 18 years later. And, um, you know, one of the big issues with privacy, of course, is that different countries uh, and different unions and different economic groups view, you know, the subject differently. Uh, and so privacy right now is is really kind of the, the fundamental question um, that many many businesses are, are grappling with because we're seeing not only privacy requirements and regulations, but we're seeing jurisdictional issues, which is, for instance, does the GDPR apply to uh, companies in other countries? And if so, you know, what's the test uh, to make that determination? Uh, and those are obviously you know, high value, high dollar uh, decisions that a lot of people are waiting to find out about. Mm-hmm. So uh, GDPR, let's, let's just stay in that for a moment. Um, it's about personal data. So in general, you know, this was a frenzy in May. Okay. I mean, I don't know about our listeners, but I got tons of emails and I live in Europe, but I got all these emails, you know, sign up. What do you think people actually understand what GDPR is about or companies understand it? Um, no, uh, <laughs> because I think, well, I think conceptually, it, it's it, it and, well. It also depends where you are. So, mm-hmm. if a listener is located in the EU, they, they tend to be much more knowledgeable about privacy rights because the EU is always considered uh, privacy is kind of a fundamental part of you know the foundational documents. Uh, in the United States, for instance, eh, privacy law is kind of a joke, uh, and Americans don't really you know consider it that big of an issue unless the issue concerns you know the government sweeping up large amounts of data. Um, but there is no national privacy law in the United States. There are for certain niches, such as collecting information from children or health records, but there's no general privacy um, law out there. And so it, it really depends for U.S. companies, who, who I tend to represent, you know, the GDPR is, uh, you know, cold water in the face, if you will, because uh, they're used to dealing, you know, with the U.S. market where privacy is kind of a side issue. And now, obviously, with the GDPR, you know, you need a legal basis to collect information. Uh, there are all these, you know, record-keeping requirements and things of that sort that never existed in the U.S. before. So it's a big uh, eye-opener. 
Um, are there a lot of companies who are not in compliance, both in the U.S. and, frankly, in the EU? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, you know, that's that's part of it, uh, certainly. And then, you know, from people's perspective, from individuals' perspective, you know, I, I think the purpose of the GDPR is probably something that's pretty noble. Uh, the actual ap- application of it, of course, and some of the finer details are head scratchers. But, um, you know, I think people are starting to get, at least they're familiar that there is this law now, whether they're companies or individuals. And I think that, you know, as as privacy spreads and different countries deal with it differently, you know, that we will get to a point where most, you know, most everybody's on board. Mm-hmm. But um, GDPR started in the EU, and and um, with with Europeans being quite concerned about privacy. But I've you know what's happening in the states now. You just said there's no national presence of any kind of law like this. But hasn't there been some states that are following suit in some of this uh, personal privacy issues with regulations similar to GDPR? There have, um, you know, but it's. It's been kind of piecemeal. Um, so California, for instance, um, this past summer passed the uh, California Consumer Privacy Act, which is often referred to as GDPR light. Um, but it was kind of a political wrangling. So, for instance, with the GDPR, the EU took oh, four or five years, maybe six years, depending on when you consider the start, uh, to negotiate uh, and create the regulation, You know, which is obviously 99 articles and some 230 you know, odd recitals. California drafted and enacted uh, its version of the law in seven days, mm-hmm. and it was it was due to uh, you know political initiative um, situation that's unique to California. We have a, a an ability for wealthy people to <laughs> place initiatives on the ballot if they can get enough uh, signatures. And in this case, it was obviously a law would pass, and there were some legal issues to it. So, so we have this this new law, and it's supposed to go in effect in January 2020, and the California Attorney General is the prosecuting. Uh, agency, and they have shown a severe lack of enthusiasm for this law, uh, having already stated that you know when January 2020 comes, they're not going to do anything, and in fact, it'll probably be the summer of 2020 before they even get around to issuing regulations. Um, so, so yes, there are there are laws coming in other states are certainly considered similar provisions. Um, I think the problem, uh, or what you're going to see in the United States, actually is a national uh, privacy law that will be passed probably in the next year. Um, but I don't think it will be anything as uh, restrictive or uh, detailed as the GDPR um, because mm-hmm. the tech companies are pushing it. Uh, and the reason they're doing that is you know, we don't want a situation where every state has a different law and it, it becomes chaos trying to comply with each one because you know they'll all be different. And mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you end up with this you know, website with you know, 85 pop-ups trying to comply with all the different versions. Um, but you know, I think you're seeing that. So in the States, it's, it's coming slowly, but there isn't the enthusiasm that you see in the EU. Yeah. And do you, I mean, you're working, you are working with a lot of companies and, and GDPR does apply to, if you're doing, have any personal data from Europe, if you're a U.S. company, then you have to oblige by that law. Um, do you think, I mean, how, how complicated is it um, for U.S. businesses? And they need people like you that understand it. Um, some companies are taking, you know, hiring privacy officers. What do companies need to do to understand this? Ooh, um, <laughs> it's a fairly complex question. Um, basically, you're gonna, you know, you you really need legal counsel. There's no way around that part of it. Uh, and you may, depending on you know how sophisticated your your information collection practices are, you may need a data protection officer, which is somewhat of an independent position within your company. Um, you know, it's not something you can just really learn in a day. There needs to be an organized process of getting from point A to point uh, Z, if you will, through the through the um, the effort. But it's it's so regulatory; it's hard to even just summarize um, mm-hmm. what you need. But you need basically a plan. You need to sit down, go through all the data collection processes that the company is undertaking, that analyze those. You know, versus the GDPR, what's allowed, what's not allowed, and what record keeping is required, um, and do you need representative in the EU, and so on and so forth. Um, unfortunately, I wish I could summarize it in one sentence, but it's just impossible with the GDPR. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. We're going we're gonna to take a short break, and, and then when I come back, I'm going to kind of open the camera worms, Richard, because it's not just about GDPR, is it? Now, the Europe has e-privacy legislation on the table, which goes beyond personal data into other practices, and I'd like to hear some of your views on that and how that affects some of your customers in the United States and where you think 
that's going in the future, both in the U.S. and in Europe. Okay, so we're going to take a short break, and we are speaking with Richard Chapo. And he's internet business lawyer and business owner and has always been completely amazed at the evolution of the online entrepreneurial world. As an internet attorney, he advises large and small businesses on legal and regulatory obligations when operating online. Now, Richard can be reached on LinkedIn under Richard A. Chapo. He's also on Twitter under Richard A. Chapo. And his websites are www. SoCal Internet Lawyer. So that's, I'm taking that stands for Richard Southern California. Okay. Um, S O C A L I N T E R N E T Lawyer.com. And the second website is www.dmcaagentservice.com. And you can reach out to him through these channels. And with that, we're going to take a short break. I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, uh, leadership expert, business expert. You can contact me with questions and comments at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or join leadershipbeyondborders.net. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. And today we're talking with Richard Chapo. He's an internet business lawyer and business owner. And he's always been completely amazed at the evolution of the online entrepreneurial world. Now, before the break, Richard, we, we talked a lot about GDPR, um, the, the directive and legislation that started uh, in Europe on personal data. But Europe has something else going on right now. I mean, they, they have on the table e-privacy regulations, okay? So what do you think the biggest issues going on beyond personal data are? Uh, well, the e-privacy regulation is, uh, you know, another effort as part of the internal market to uh, update uh, their views on certain things. I think that there are a number of issues with it. I'm not sure which one we classify as the biggest, but certainly the expansion uh, of the privacy law to different communication channels, uh, whether it be instant messaging or some of the things we're seeing develop with, you know, the Internet of Things uh, and Internet of Devices. Um, so it's covering that. I think... Uh, 
you know, one of the big hopes that a lot of us have was that they were going to address the cookie law, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and the idea that, um, you know, most people, <laughs> when you go to a website and you see these pop-ups for cookies and asking for consent and what have you, um, the problem with most of those pop-ups is that if you see them constantly, they lose any value. And people mm-hmm. will, will just click them to get past them. And so it looked as though they were going to get rid of that. Um, now, it looks like maybe not. Um, <laughs> they, they were going to put them with the browsers, which would have been an excellent solution in my opinion. Unfortunately, uh, that may not that may not happen. But uh, the two other big uh, high-profile uh, popular uh, media subjects, if you will, are uh, the idea that there'll be uh, – oh, excuse me, I'm thinking of something else. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's the cookie law to me is still kind of the big the big issue and then the expansion into um, other areas of communications and whether those should be regulated, you know, much like uh, more traditional forms of communications, telephones and what have you, uh, are regulated. Uh, and I, I honestly, I think it's kind of been a long time coming with a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's stay with the cookie law for for a moment because um this this was something that drives me crazy because it really goes into digital marketing and 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 tracking it really covers a lot of tracking technologies not just cookies so do you think that the some of the things they're looking at are, this is really going to affect like the ad tech ecosystem the digital advertising system. I think it's good. I think, yeah, I think it is. I think we're already, even with just the GDPR, we're already seeing it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the uh, oh, the case that came out of France um, that they just, yeah, you know, yeah, they issued a ruling on. Nobody actually caught it at first. And then uh, they came up and it was a case involving a company called, I believe, Vectuary. I'm not sure how you pronounce mm-hmm. yeah, it. Yeah, yes. And so essentially what had happened was Vectuary had created a consent form and they were passing consent through to processors via contracts. Uh, so there would be a clause in contracts between the companies, and consent would pass. And uh, the CNIL said, "No, uh, we're not going to allow that. That's not mm-hmm. free consent uh, under the GDPR." Um, and so essentially, I, you know, it's only been out for a day or two, and I haven't given a complete, thorough thought. But it seems to kill ad tech. Um, yeah. Certainly, on the pass through, and that strategy just seems to be dead on arrival. And you know, I think there are a lot of questions about. Um, you know, how fundamentally are we going to have any um, kind of transfer of information, you know, in that sense where you're having cookie pop-ups, the theory or the explanation I received is, well, you would add, you know, granular consent to the actual uh, consent box for, you know, some of the processors, particularly, you know, that the data groups and data brokers and what have you, but nobody's going to consent to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, nobody's going to yeah. check that box. No. Um, so, is this a practical death knell for for that industry? I don't know, but it certainly is damaging. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, isn't it? I mean, I think that's it. It's really going to change the transparency to profiling and behavioral advertising, isn't it? Um, I, radically, I would think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from my point of view, I mean, you look at the situation is already difficult, um, as I'm sure you know. And you know, in May when the GDPR went into effect, large number of U.S. newspapers, you know, blocked the EU traffic. And mm-hmm. the reason that they did that was because you know they're obviously having difficulties from a, an economic perspective, generating enough revenues, and they were using technology to do that online. Uh, that really was just not – you just couldn't use it under the GDPR because of the consent issues. And you certainly are not going to be able to use it under the privacy regulation. Um, and so you know, I think you're exactly right. We're heading into an area where that technology may become uh, futile as a business method. Now, tech will probably develop something else because they tend to be far more creative and far more advanced than the regulators. Um, but it certainly raises a host of questions. There are a lot of ad tech companies that are not having a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so uh, let, Let's move on from into the communication channels because I think that's really interesting. And what I've seen in, in Europe is especially the telcos are complaining that it's, it's not fair for the tech giants to be able to operate messaging empires um, without the same compliance burdens that they have. And there's a lot of discussion of level playing fields um, in the EU. Um, you know, these big guys don't have the same compliances. So what, what do you think about this direction that the EU is taking on this? Well, I think, you know, as long as we're talking about the larger players, you know, to me, it's it's fairly reasonable. I mean, it's it's a question less of 
access to the market by companies than it is, you know, the annoyance of complying. Um, and so I don't have a lot of sympathy for the Googles and, and Facebooks of the world. You know, when people talk about the burden that would be placed on them from this, even though I'm a business lawyer, and um, mm-hmm. you know, there just aren't a lot of small players in this field. So I think that if the telcos have to deal with it, then certainly, you know, some of these larger companies requiring them to do so isn't, you know, it's, I'm not in favor of regulations generally, but this isn't one that really drives me that nuts. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you're talking about the big players, I mean, you're, then you're talking about you know level playing field, and then you're talking about these antitrust issues. I mean, what do you have an opinion on when does like a mega company uh, become so big that it really starts to violate the law that it has to be looked at in antitrust? I mean, if you look at the the um you know years ago here in the United States with the telcos and oil and things like that, I mean, when does it become really harmful to the economy because it's suppressing uh, some other competition? Well, that would be the $5.1 billion question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the United States, um, I'll be honest with you, um, the agency that tends to look into this issue is the FTC, uh, Federal Trade Commission, and they're very weak um, when it comes to these issues. And they have looked at Google from this perspective because many companies have complained. Um, because, you know, as most people know with Google, and if you look at the homepage search results, Google is monopolizing most of that page, and they will offer their services over other companies. Um, so you'll see, if you do a search for real estate or something, you know, the houses you see listed at, at the top or scrolling across the top, those are all Google properties. Not not the individual homes, but it's a Google yeah. service. Uh, and so, you know, other real estate listing sites are kind of bunched out and if you look at search engine stats you know most people never go past the first page of search results right um, so is that antitrust or not i would say it is mm-hmm. because you're limiting consumers right to see you know multiple options um you know google can tweak that however they wish um you know and in the eu's case uh, you know fortunately and here's somewhere where i applaud you know countries member states in the eu is um you know they they've Gone after Google for that. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at some of the, the different tactics that Google has taken, and the EU has said, you know, no, that, that's we're not going to allow that. Um, you know, France and Germany certainly have looked at them, um, but I think it is an issue. And I think if any person with reasonable common sense looked at those pages or looked at some of Google's tactics in particular, um, you'd have to say it's antitrust. In the U.S., they try to get around it by arguing that you have alternative choices in Yahoo and Bing and DuckDuckGo, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other other search engines, and in fact. A number of years ago, Google almost purchased Yahoo, and the reason that they backed out of the purchase was they realized, hmm, well, if we control you know, 90% of the search market, <laughs> right, that right. opens us up to antitrust. Yeah. Well, do you think Europe's being uh, more aggressive in this? I mean, you just mentioned France and Germany, and of course, you know, the European authorities fined Google um, like $5.1 billion for abusing the, the mobile phone market. Um, so, so. Uh, do you th- think Europe's are going the right way? Um, I, I do. I, I tend to. You know, it's the arguments are somewhat humorous from the legal perspective um, because, you know, the, obviously yeah. they're looking at Android and they're saying, you know, Google's monopolizing mm-hmm. uh, or using its, its, you know, its impact with Android to, to promote its own, uh, you know, search engine and what have you. Well, those are the exact arguments Google made against Microsoft, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it was when Windows, uh, you know, Microsoft was dominant with Windows and they would always release it with Explorer. Yeah. Uh, and so it's somewhat disingenuous to hear Google try to argue against that position. Um, but yeah, I, I applaud, uh, you know, the European mm-hmm. effort. I, I Honestly, I think that it's it's definitely the way to go. I think that the, you're mm-hmm. getting a little out of control, particularly, you know, with these larger companies. They have a certain momentum to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Facebook. You could you could launch other social media, and I think there it's more trendy. And so Facebook, you can you can kind of make an argument in their favor. But with Google, you know, it's a search engine. Most people use it just statistically. You know, most people look at and yeah. use it, and so it's natural. It's, it would suggest they're having a good experience. So it's natural that any other Google products that Google puts out there, people are at least going to try. Now, Google has been horrible at a lot of other products. Its effort to launch a social media platform four or five different times has been hysterical. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's pretty much a guide to how not to do this. Uh, <laughs> and, that's good. You know, and, and that's the theme with large companies. As soon as yeah. they get out of their little area of expertise, they tend to fall on their face. Um, but... 
you know, when Google was smart in that they looked at search and realized they were a one-trick pony, and when they started investing in smartphone technology and delivery and all of that, that was a smart move. Um, but is it going too far? I would say yes. Uh, in the U.S., I don't think that they're going to have any problems, but in the EU, obviously they are. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, and all this comes under Richard. All this comes under uh, you know the e-privacy um, uh, legislation that's going on in the EU. And um, just just let me ask one more thing that's kind of in this umbrella. Um, it moves it moves the GDPR from personal data to 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 company data. So w- what about metadata? I mean, can we ensure that you know company data and metadata, you know, everything's still being kind of collected and processed under some of these regulations? You think? It's hard to see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to be honest. I just if we had know, a crystal ball, right? <laughs> well, it's it's you know it's difficult to see because I don't think that they're going to be in favor of it, and there may be a legal path that you can take to do it. But the practical impact is such that nobody's going to do it. Um, just as we were talking about, uh, you know, you have a situation where um, you know with ad tech, you know this this ruling yeah. really hurts ad tech. Well, you could you know, add the ad tech companies to the consent form. But is anybody going to check those? No. Uh, and so I think that, uh, you know, with metadata, it's still a little early to see, and people are very creative and, and may come up with creative ways to attack the problem. And I certainly, you know, think that will probably happen. But right now it's kind of hard to see how we're going we're gonna to have that be a practical, um, you know, business model. Uh, These are just major changes. Yeah, yeah, and um, we're going to take a break in a minute. But I just have a one. I have one question I want to ask you. So we've been talking about the states. We're talking about what kind of regulation is going in that direction. Um, we haven't talked about anybody else. I mean, so Europe's quite active. The states kind of, you know, maybe dragging their feet on a few things, but at least they're looking at stuff. Um, what about the rest of the world? I mean, North America's Canada also, and then we have countries that are absolutely doing nothing. Okay. Um, how difficult is are, is this whole e-privacy umbrella going to be to enforce? Well, that that's a huge, huge question. And it's a huge question yeah. with the GDPR as well. And we're already seeing these fights. Um, Canada's Supreme Court, uh, in a case called Google Inc. versus uh, Equistech Solutions, they ordered Google to uh, take certain actions regarding uh, search results. And Google said, mm, no, and they challenged it in U.S. court. And the U.S. court said, sorry, Canada, you don't have any authority here, and uh, refuted that. And so search results in Canada showed the changes, but in the U.S. did not. And then, of course, Google and France have been going round and round uh, on this very issue, mm-hmm. you know, do not, um, you know, with asking people asking for the, you know, certain content to be removed. And that just fired up again here this November, just actually a couple of weeks ago. They were back in court still trying to, to figure that issue out. Um, you know, I think that right now with the U.S., certainly you're not going to see a very uh, friendly reception to that, particularly with the current administration. Um, other countries, Canada has already issued new data breach rules that are much closer to what the GDPR is doing. Um, so they're kind of falling in line. Uh, I believe uh, Brazil has passed something very similar to GDPR. Um, also, maybe Japan. I'm trying to think of the countries offhand. But there are other countries that you know are just never going to do it. So you. You're getting into this area where certain jurisdictions have certain requirements and certain jurisdictions have completely different requirements, and that drives businesses mad. Yes, I can see that. <laughs> and I hear that for many businesses in Europe also. Well, Richard, we're going to take another break now. And for our listeners, we're speaking with Richard Chapo. And he's an internet lawyer and business owner, and he's always been completely amazed with the evolution of the online entrepreneurial world. And he is advising large and small businesses on legal and regulatory issues when operating online and advising them in pursuit to the laws that are not just in the United States, but laws in Europe um, that they may have to oblige to when doing business in the United States. Now, Richard can be reached at his website, SoCalInternetLawyer.com, and SoCal is is in Southern California, short, and the other internet site is DMCAAgentService.com. He's also on LinkedIn under Richard A. Chapo, and on Twitter under Richard A. Chapo, and you're listening to Kimberly Lewis, leadership and business expert. You can contact me with questions and comments at LeadershipBeyondBorders at gmail.com, join our LinkedIn group. Go to Instagram under Kimberly Lewis 
and go to our website under leadershipbeyondborders.net. And when we come back, Richard, I want to just touch on some of the other legal issues because it's not just about e-privacy and GDPR, but there's other things such as copyright and cyber crimes and lots of stuff. Okay, so with that, we're going to be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Border and to Borders, and today we're speaking with Richard Chapo. He's an internet business lawyer and business owner who works with businesses on legal issues concerning their online presence. And we've spent a lot of time, Richard, talking about e-privacy and GDPR, um, but those aren't the only issues that, that face us today in this connected world. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about copyright, because I, I believe... People don't understand copyright on the internet. You know, if it's out there, I can take it. Okay, so can you just kind of explain to us a little bit about copyright on the internet? Uh, Sure, copyright varies a little bit from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but generally the the idea is that if you create a work, um, such as a article or a photograph or music video, whatever it may be, um, that you have the right to control that work, to make copies, to perform it, and, and to distribute it. Uh, so if you think of a book, Stephen King writes a book, uh, he controls that novel. He has the right to make money from it. Um, in fact, what he does is he assigns all of his rights to a publisher, and the publisher handles you know, the, the nuts and bolts of it, and they pay him a royalty for that. That's the basic idea. Um, you know, copyright infringement, um, which is the concern online, is kind of an antiquated situation. And a lot of the rules around it are a bit antiquated because before the internet, of course, the ability to go out and make a copy of, let's say, a Stephen King novel, you know, bind it, turn around and sell it, was difficult. Um, but with the internet, of course, you can pretty much right-click, copy, and uh, you know, save any image online and then turn around and republish it somewhere else. Uh, and so it's become a huge issue. And, uh, you know, as a general rule, unless you have a particular reason uh, or basis, um, you know, for using that that image or whatever it is, um, you're often committing copyright infringement because the person who created that work owns that copyright unless you have their, their permission. Um, you know, you can't really use it. Now, there is a defense, um, and, and it varies a little bit from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but there's fair use. Um, which is a somewhat complicated subject to discuss, um, but it comes down to some societal interests, um, such as you can criticize something um, if it's a new, there's a news aspect to it, 
um, you can use it, or if there's a parody, um, so you see movie reviews on YouTube or something like that. You know, that's mm-hmm. not copyright infringement because they're they're doing a criticism, whether it's positive or negative, um, of the entity. So that's generally the way that it works. And then different countries have passed. Supplemental copyright laws in the U.S. There's something called the DMCA, Digital and Millennium Copyright Act. It's a federal law, and it says basically that websites cannot be held liable uh, for copyright infringement uh, based on content that users upload. Um, so if you think okay. of people uploading a video to YouTube or uh, you know some kind of an image to a Facebook page, those companies can't be held liable as long as they follow a compliance process. And that was created in 1998 because um, the government, the federal government, wanted to create an environment where companies could grow without being uh, wiped out by a you know a tsunami of copyright infringement lawsuits. Mm-hmm. So w- when we talk about copyright, I mean the Stephen King example is quite good, and the movies are good, and the music's good. Okay, but then there's so much content out there. Okay, I mean there's blogs, there's just comments from everybody. Okay, I mean how, where does copyright fall there? So I wrote, I write my blog out there. Um, I don't necessarily. You know, it's not a Stephen King book where, you know, uh, the publisher has the rights. I mean, what happens to all that other information out there? Um, Well, again, it depends on the jurisdiction in the U.S. It's automatically copyrighted. Okay. You, when you create it, you automatically own copyright to it. But you're pointing out some some unique aspects of the Internet that make copyright very difficult to both deal with and to understand because in some cases, in fact, in many cases, people create content because they want it to be shared. They want it to be distributed, and this includes large mm-hmm. companies, you know, viral campaigns. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, and they're going out and they're saying, you know, take this and and please spread it as far as you can in every different direction. And you have all these new business models that are based on that concept. And yeah, when you're dealing with copyright, that then it becomes difficult because if you see something up on another site, well, did they copy it and and use it without permission, or did was it something that was on Instagram that somebody wanted them to share, or you know, who knows. Um, so it does. It becomes very complicated at times <laughs> because you're really trying to track, you know, where's the origination of that 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 piece and you know what licenses were were granted. When you upload something to YouTube, for instance, within their terms and conditions, um, you know, you have choices to whether you're granting a license. And it depends on the way that you submit the uh, the video. Now, most people mm-hmm. are going to want it to be shared, so that they're going to go in that direction. But in some cases, not so. Mm-hmm. And when you think about this, Richard, and on the in this, you know, worldwide, okay, um, it, this gets even more complicated because you're talking about different jurisdictions. I mean, I know some of the laws in Europe. Um, you just gave, gave us our listeners some information on the United States, but then there's other places that don't have anything. And and I think about. I t- if I take it away from the internet and I look at like fake Louis Vuitton bags and you know that's trademark infringement, all this other stuff. How do you actually, you know, c- control it if if the the copy is being copied, the copy is being generated from India or someplace in Asia or something like that? Is that possible at all? Do you think? It's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the, with physical products, they're trying to get them at the border. Yeah. Um, with digital products, you know, you can go after the data pipe, try and block, um, you know, that information from coming in, and there are ways to do that. The problem that you have is it's very expensive to do that. You know, people like mm. myself, we cost a lot of money, and if you're blocking, you know, a data pipe, there's nothing, nothing at all that will stop the group that is doing that from walking down to the street to a new location, <laughs> getting yeah. a new pipe. Uh, yeah. After you spent all this money and doing it again, so there is a certain element of um, you know, like in a bar, you know, bartenders give away free drinks, and that's just part of the price of running a bar, mm-hmm. uh, and it's figured into it. And so, for a lot of companies, you know, that's just kind of the price. Now, physical products, you know, you want to be very aggressive, um, but it really comes down to your budget. You know, how much money do you want to spend going after these people? Um, mm-hmm. Because as unhappy as a company CEO may get. Um, you know, two months later when the legal bill shows up, they get even more unhappy. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, are, yeah. you know, there's <laughs> practical sides to that. But, it, no, it's, you know, there, there are great things about the Internet and there are not so great things. Um, and, you know, we're not even talking about the dark web when you get into those areas. Yeah. You know, we have, you know, basically, you know, crime as a service now and you have, um, you know, credit card numbers and everything else. 
Yeah, and, and I mean that's uh, um, I, uh, you know, this whole cyber crime, and it is not just the dark web, which is which fascinates me. And um, I don't maybe hear your opinion on that a little bit, but it's also the crimes like you know, uh, typo squatting and cyber squatting and page jacking. You know, um, I I hate when I put you know type something in and I spell it wrong and then I get some weird um, website you know so I mean uh, what do you think about all this internet crime just a couple opinions on what's going on well um, I think it's always going to be there I think that companies do themselves a disservice by um, not policing their content Mm-hmm. You know, not not looking through their systems, not you know looking at typo, you know domain squatting, not looking mm-hmm. at page jacking. All of these couples don't know it. I had a client that came in; they were having all kinds of problems uh, with uh, you know, legal authorities. Police were raiding them all the time. We were trying to figure out what was going on because, of course, the police wouldn't say anything. And we eventually found out that one of their IT people was hosting some really, really bad stuff on one of their hosts. <laughs> and, you know, and it had never occurred to anybody that, that maybe they should, you know, audit their own computers to make sure that there weren't things on there that, you know, they really didn't want to be associated with. And fortunately, you know, the end result ended up being, you know, okay, and it wasn't publicly exposed and so on and so forth. But, you know, there, there's a lack of um, effort by, by companies to, you know, even look at any of those issues. Um, you know, it just came out today, you know, not a company, but the government, United States Postal Service, exposed 60 million people's information, all of their account oh. information, because th- their code was done incorrectly. Um, you know, and that's not a sophisticated Russian programmer in some, you know, you know, castle or DACA or whatever out in, you know, the field somewhere doing something nefarious. That's basic stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, that anybody can run across. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, the genesis of a lot of the problem. But there are always going to be sophisticated crimes. And, you know, if you're a company and you are having problems, the best I can suggest is, you know, set aside a budget and be aggressive and mm-hmm. go against them. And depending on the country you're in, if you're in the U.S., get the FBI involved because they'll do a lot of the grunt work. Um, you know, and really try to establish a reputation that if people mess with you, you know, that you're going to come back. You know, full barrels. Uh, you know, going trying to uh, to make sure that they pay a price for that. Yeah, and I mean that's so important. And it's funny you just said that. It, I I didn't read what you just talked about um, exposing. But if you were doing that, for example, if you're a company and and that happens, then you need to inform people because there's big fines behind this stuff if you don't do stuff right or if you don't inform people. Isn't aren't there? Especially with if well, you're. Dealing with Europe. <laughs> <laughs> this is another area where, as, as you mentioned before, we have a jurisdictional problem. Yeah. Um, because yes, in the GDPR, you have seventy-two hours essentially, yeah. um, and there are you know caveats and exemptions. But yes, and there are huge fines behind it if you don't do it. However, um, in the U.S., if you do that, you're in a lot of trouble because if the FBI gets involved, they don't want you to announce mm-hmm. that there's been a breach because they're hunting that party. Ah, okay. And they're they're going back up the breach, and they're trying to track whoever that person is, and and, yep. and try and find it. And they're very good at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you go out at seventy two hours and announce, "Hey, we've been hacked," well, that person yeah. now knows that that's happened, and they're you know They'll cutting cover their tracks. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Th- this was actually presented to one of the uh, members of the Article Twenty Nine Working uh, Party who was in the U.S. Yeah. discussing the GDPR, and her answer was, uh, "That's a good question." <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. I, I didn't even I didn't think about that either. And I work on the Europe. I work with um, the European things. So, Richard, we're getting towards the end of this. So, we got a lot of businesses out there, big and small. A lot of leaders out there. If you had to say what would be the top three things that people have to be aware of, okay, in this whole Internet of Things, you know, connected world, just to watch out for going forward to protect their companies and their businesses and do things right. Um, you know, I think probably um, the biggest thing, and this will come off as sounding negative, but it's not really negative. It's just an evolution. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in the concept of the splinter net, uh, which is a concept that was thrown out by a gentleman named Clyde Cruz. Uh, he was a researcher with the Cato Institute. Uh, he meant it as a positive, but I think most people would view it as a negative. And it's the idea that we're going to have um, the Internet, at least from a commercial perspective, uh, divided into different regions uh, based on some of the issues we've been discussing where jurisdictions mm-hmm. have, have you know, conflicting regulations and requirements. Mm-hmm. If you're a CEO of a company, small, big, whatever, you need to know your market. 
mm-hmm. you need to one of the first things you really need to do is think about okay you know who is our target market and then look at your numbers and verify that that is correct and then based on that strategies need to be developed um, you know there are companies already that are you know looking at the GDPR and their solution is to you know kick off an independent company that is based solely in Europe and deals solely with European traffic and all those mm-hmm. issues and other companies in other areas um, you know that don't and I think that that's where we're headed and you already mm-hmm. see it you, know, you already see it with some retailers doing it so I think that that is probably the biggest issue know your you know know your your right. strategy know your traffic and two you know the second one is change your mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way the internet has worked for the last 20 years, that's done, and mm-hmm. it's not coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, particularly for my clients in the U.S., it's it's you know I spend half the time you know being yelled at because they're <laughs> happy <laughs> there are all these new rules and you know nobody yeah. else is doing this. Yeah, well, yeah. well, you know, yeah. here's the new world. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then the third I think is uh, you know once you've developed those markets, you know you can't bury your head in the sand anymore. Uh, yep. The penalties used to be small, and enforcement rates used to be fairly low. You know, those days are gone as well. The GDPR allows you know fines up to from the U.S. market twenty-four million dollars, four percent of worldwide gross. Um, you know, we're talking large, significant numbers. And what I found generally in the past with you know supervisory authorities who do the enforcements in the EU is most of them, if you've made a good faith effort, you know that the fines aren't going to be huge. But if you don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, well, it's they your own be. fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I think that's great advice to, to end with, Richard. And thank you so much. And for our listeners, we've been speaking with Richard Chapo, his internet lawyer and business owner, and uh, has been completely amazed at the evolution of the online entrepreneurial world. And as an internet lawyer, he advises large and small companies and on legal and regulatory obligations when operating online. So if you want to reach out to Richard, you can reach out to him at SoCalInternetLawyer.com. And that's SoCal is in Southern California short. And DMCAAgentService.com. He is also on LinkedIn under Richard A. Chapo, and he's on Twitter under Richard A. Chapo. And Richard, it's been absolutely a pleasure. Great information for our listeners. A pleasure talking to you, and thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on again. I enjoyed it. Okay. And for our listeners, Leadership Beyond Borders, we cover a lot of issues, um, a lot of critical issues that we talk about each week uh, that affect your business or your career. And Leadership Beyond Borders is a program sponsored by Global Business Therapy, SRO, and supported by the Search and Information Industry Association of Europe. CINDA, the Search and Information, provides webinars on subjects such as this, uh, GDPR, e-privacy, and we're going to actually have a webinar on CINDA at www.cinda.com on December 6th. So check out our website for the time of that webinar. And you can also join LocalCom 2019 in London from April 10 to 12. We'll be addressing some of these changing digital issues. By GDBT, Global Business, we provide leadership training, systemic team coaching, motivational speaking, and much more. Now, connect to me, uh, Kimberly Lewis, under leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Download us on iTunes. We have a five-star rating. And listen to us every Tuesday 3 p.m. Pacific time. And with that, it's almost the end of the year. So enjoy the month of December and tune in next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.